Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Started the recording. Let's start it with a slurp. Start the slurp. Yeah, I think I think we're doing it. I'm right. staring at an open window here. Uh, so, how much administrative to do can we have before a uh, uh, Godzilla? As much as much as much as you want. As much as you want. The spirit is going to flow through you no matter what. Like it's there's no prep needed in the moment. You know, just let it let it take you. Let her fly. That's right. The perfect cast, as they say, uh, or some <laughs> yeah, say, say Try Love podcast. It's a literal roundtable one where we talk about Godzilla movies. Uh, this is, uh, or sorry, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Nint- on Twitter at Nintendoofus. You can find our podcast at Try Love Podcast. I'm back around a little bit. You know, we've got shifting identities and double movies to talk about and stuff. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. You can find the Try Line at Try Line Cinema across all social media and trylon.org where you can get tickets, showings, and other goings on at the Try Line Cinema. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis, and again, you can find me on Twitter at that thing I mentioned before. I'm Cody Narvison. I don't speak monster, but you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. It's pretty close to mine, Cody, uh, but I'm going to go with, um, we have no reason to help humans. Humans are always bullying us, and if you've listened to the pod, you'll know that's true of us <laughs> as it is true of one Godzilla. I've been Harry Mackin. I'm still Harry Mackin, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. My name's Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. I did, during the movie, do what I usually do, which is uh, go uh, like, oh, yeah, I need a quote for this one. Usually I'm good during a movie, just going, I think of like, oh, yeah, I need a quote. I'll watch for about five minutes. Usually there's something that's kind of silly that'll come up, but that's my quote. This movie did that like four separate times, not a single good quote. So you don't get a quote from me, but hopefully you'll get some good discussion. Again, you can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. Thank you for those wonderful introductions. I should preface yeah. this by saying that we have uh, a few movies left in the Godzilla series at the Trilon, which you can find at the link in the show notes. Uh, of course, still playing as we're recording this is Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, uh, Invasion of Astro Monster, Destroy All Monsters, and Terror <laughs> of Mechagodzilla through the rest of May. So get your tickets there. Uh, it's always been a hoot uh, no matter when we've gone. And, uh, and you know, double bill it, too. That was a fun experience for, yeah. for Mothra versus I'm Godzilla. I'm doing that again this coming week. We've got yeah. it on the calendar. Uh, see R. us R. there. Varda, but, R. you know. Rick Varda. But we've got so, more time for them. Uh, this, she, she maybe have a – I was going to say she has a maybe a queen of the Trilon slot in, you know. Don't speak too soon, but we, we'll uh, see what happens. We did Sorry, already talk about – Mothra is also in several of these films. <clears throat> Aaron, you forgot you about Mothra. You are canceled. Uh, no, we, we talked about Cleo. I feel like that's a really good, uh, a really good vertical slice of her career if you're going to get one. Uh, but yes, uh, we, we've got. I guess I think Godzilla has eminent domain over what this podcast um, has kind of always been, uh, and in that respect, uh, we're just going to keep chugging as long as we can with them. Um, and look forward to some fun guests too. We've gotten word of a few folks that will be joining us, at least one uh, who will be joining us as new guests for this series. So uh, yeah, keep your ears tuned to Try Love, and keep your ears tuned to our next segment, which uh, I've got to hand off to Aaron for. Yes, it's the summary, the patented Aaron 
uh, Grossman uh, movie summary here for, <clears throat> as mentioned earlier, uh, Ghidra, the Three-Headed Monster, 1964 film directed by the classic Ashiro Honda. Uh, the film is the fifth film in the Godzilla franchise. It is notable for a few specific reasons. I think kind of most notably is the, the first film to feature Godzilla uh, as the good guy. Um, it is also, as Harry mentioned earlier, the first film in which several large uh, kind of building-sized kaiju monsters talk about how mean bullying is and how harmful it can be. Um, first film to do that. Uh, the film stars uh, Yasuke Natsuki as Detective Shindo, a member of the police hired to protect Princess Salno of uh, Seljina, I guess should be how that's pronounced, during her trip to Japan. Uh, Yuriko Hoshi plays reporter uh, Naoko Shindo, uh, Detective Shindo's brother, who is an uh, investigating woman who claims to be from Venus, uh, and who provides these kind of uh, uh, prophecies about the reawakening of several large monsters, uh, Godzilla, Mothra, and Rodan. Uh, as well as an evil being from beyond the stars known as King Ghidra uh, that threatens all life on Earth. Uh, also in the cast here, Japanese vocal duo uh, The Peanuts play uh, the Shobijin, uh, twin fairy priestesses of Mothra. Uh, Hiroshi uh, Koizumi plays Professor Mirai. Uh, Godzilla, Rodan, and King Ghidra are all played by uh, Haruo uh, Nakajima, uh, Masonori uh, Shinohara, and Shoichi Hirose, uh, respectively. And I think Mothra was just a puppet. Um, strings, right? I believe you can see the strings in a couple of scenes, so that would make sense. Yes. Uh, I think I also didn't mention, but uh, Kiko uh, Wakabayashi, uh, she plays uh, the princess uh, Salno, uh, as well as kind of the, the priestess. She gets kind of I don't know, possessed uh, as it is. Uh, yeah, uh, notable uh, Godzilla movie, kind of as we were talking about on, on one of the earlier Godzilla uh, casts. This was kind of uh, a next step up in terms of Godzilla becoming this kind of wrestling-like production of beings fighting for Earth to save Earth, to destroy Earth, uh, teaming up against, you know, some kind of greater threat. Um, and yeah, Ghidra is kind of the uh, the big bad guy in this one. So I enjoyed it. I, I'm kind of curious also what the in-theater, were people clapping? Were they cheering? What was the in-theater experience? People, not had, a good, Royal people had a good time. Yeah, the kids yeah, next to me were not into that, it very much. Yeah, but really. Yeah. That's probably a good place to start, though, right? Because, like, I think that, that this um, movie is a really good sort of next movie to cover because it really is emblematic of what I would say mid to later career Godzilla movies, if you will, uh, became. Um, and it's also like you brought this up a little bit in your review, which you knew I was going to bring up, uh, Aaron. <laughs> but it, it's really funny how yes. this this uh, movie does legitimately sort of prefigure a lot of big franchises, right? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. I think Comrade Yui brought up in Letterbox that like this is so clearly like a multiverse un universe movie or like a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie before all of that, right? Where it's like. Mothra, Rodan, Godzilla, they all had their own movies. They were all owned by the same production company. And all of a sudden, what that became was like, we are going to exponentially increase the amount of capital that we can acquire from these franchises by combining them into a single universe. Um, yeah. And from a thematic perspective, and we don't have to talk about this too much, right? Because it's at the end of the day, it's a very fun, silly Godzilla movie. But yeah. I really like how this movie starts to grapple with the fact that Godzilla at all are just facts of the world at this point, right? Like, I really love that, like, uh, in both this and the other one we watched, Godzilla versus Mothra, um, Godzilla just shows up 
and everybody's just like, yeah. oh, Godzilla's back. Like, he's, he's God. <laughs> very much like that, oh. right? They're, they're like, ah, shit. And like, but, but legitimately, like, dealing with kaiju and, and the way that kaiju affect the international community as actually explicitly brought up by the government at one point in this movie is now just part of the facts of the world, right? Like, this is now a cinematic universe in which kaiju are a big problem that everyone is thinking about and dealing with all of the time and it is affecting the way that the world is progressing that's something that the newer godzilla movies like even the american ones have done in sort of more obnoxious ways but ways that i also like um but like for instance you know the the reporter from the last movie in this movie she's like doing like a um bigfoot if bigfoot was real sort of like cryptid tv series that she's putting on right and like that's and and um like the emergence of kaiju have sort of like created this world in which the barrier for believability has been lowered such that when say a person from venus possesses a princess <laughs> it is like kind of a you know like everybody's like is this really happening but then is she from is she from venus she yeah, actually from venus will, yeah people will point out like well but like also you know i mean like fucking radioactive dinosaur volcano and he woke up yeah there's dinosaurs yeah. it's going on and I really, really legitimately like that. And I think it's a really fun um, and, and like intuitive way to build, to like world build here. And it, it creates yeah. this really fun, zany energy that I, that I'll, it will be fun to talk about. There is like an, it, it the, the conversation around like film franchises, specifically like ones with more fantastical elements. I mean, the one that I referenced was kind of like James Bond, but like, I do think that like a comparison to something like Marvel is kind of interesting because both of those films both of these film franchises have had to kind of grapple with like, what does a world look like? Where like all of this is just aliens and, and yeah, gods and it's, it's, it's just kind of assumed now. Right. Yeah. Um, and this, this, this film and like a lot of Godzilla films actually do kind of, I like the way that they handle uh, uh, kind of the presence of Kaiju as kind of like a, not even like some sort of, you know, I mean, the obvious comparison is like a natural disaster, right? Tsunamis or or earthquakes or things of that nature. But like the way that Godzilla is kind of treated is almost like an annoyance, like that one step that you have in your backyard that's a little higher than the other one. So you always trip over it. And you're like, oh, fucking Godzilla again. I was reading a summary of uh, Abira Horror of the Deep because I was kind of interested in that one. Uh, and like the summary is just like a research team goes out to an island where Abira like awakens and starts to like start killing people and destroying buildings and whatnot and it's just like godzilla just happens to be sleeping on that island and he gets woken up as well just like that's godzilla's thing is just like trying to nap and just consistently just being like woken up by random threats too right like godzilla is he wakes up in response to other kaiju so he's like a he's a multiplier or like a modifier on top of everything else it's like when rodan wakes up everybody's like dealing with Rodan, but in the back of their minds, they're also like fucking Godzilla is going to wake up any minute. And he's a dad like, from like a, he's a dad from like, you know, like a 1950s era sitcom, like the honeymooners or something. He's just trying to sleep out in his hammock and he just keeps getting woken up by the neighborhood kids coming through the backyard. You know, like it's, it is, it is very funny and ridiculous. And I think also pretty self-aware about it, which kind of makes it more fun. I think I do like what you're saying about how just, present how normalized godzilla has become by this time because it's 10 years after the first movie and he's on the poster but he's not in the title of the movie i guess in the original japanese Mm -hmm. title nobody's is it's just three giant monsters or whatever uh but in the international title it's king Ghidra, the three-headed monster and it's just like oh of course godzilla is there you know godzilla is there 
you, you're you're yeah. you're done. You're like you're done with Godzilla as a selling point, more or less. You're all like you you know that your butt is guaranteed in the seat because it's Godzilla. Here's what else we can offer. Like commercially, I just find that interesting, but also like uh, narratively, this movie introduces Godzilla and all these other monsters amid so many other freak things happening in the world: an outbreak of encephalitis, a heat wave, and these meteor showers. That one of which ends up being uh, you know kaiju sort of come to Earth. I I just love how like. It is, they are positioned on the same scale as almost like Aaron was saying, like almost natural disaster, almost like pandemic problems, like sort of what happens when sort of when humanity lets its guard down in some ways. I, I don't know. It was just a really interesting. I was wondering how many problems we were going to compound before it was like, oh, finally, the monster is here. Yeah, and all of them are here. Spoilers. They all show up. No, I, <laughs> I like this movie as yeah like sort of as as you guys have been talking about like a like a self-aware very self-conscious like fun antithesis to like the mcu team up type movie which is like a very 2022 way to approach this but i can't really think of a better way in so like why not roll with it but yeah i mean there's no getting into like the the climax of everything you know the the (laughs) there's no big speech that you would get you know captain america isn't you know rallying the troops to get everybody together we're thinking well no actually how do we maximize punches godzilla and and godzilla's like ah and he's like oh i could do this all day buddy and then everybody fucking (laughs) throws up in the theater right right no uh, yeah and in his big old uh you know his his sleek sexy godzilla costume instead of the big rubber suit he's wearing in this but no they're like we want to maximize these costumes you want to maximize these sets um like it, it feel weird. It feels weird to call it like more authentic, but we, like as far as the scope of these movies go, yeah, like the monsters would, you know, probably take a shit on humanity, talk about it, and just be like, ah, well, fuck it. Like we should go fight in like in a language that we can't understand. Um, you know, th- there's just something, yeah, just like w- way more fun about that. It does feel like a a breath of fresh air, even after seeing Multiverse of Madness recently, which uh, I know Jason and I liked, but um. And I guess, I don't know, you could think about the recent attempts at like bringing back monster movies, the Godzilla movies, which we may or may not have fellas watched it. It feels like so long ago. And like, we there's did. not, a, we yeah, did. There's not Godzilla, none of the I other ones. Just that I can't remember one. anything about those movies, full disclosure. So I'm not going to get into that, but like, there's no, you know, yeah, there's not a focus on obviously costumes or sets because it's all CGI nonsense, but the marketing campaign gravitates more towards like cinematography, which is something unfortunately there's just no thoughts behind the eyes of those movies so it doesn't um it doesn't really work but there is something very like we're flying by the seat of our pants how can we make more of these things um you know uh, where do we wrap thinking rapid fire where do we go next how do we modernize this without necessarily dating it sure let's throw in a, a where are they now bit which like you see in like tv specials and magazines all the time now and like the flying by the seat of their pants i, I don't know if you saw it Aaron, when you were doing the the patented summary look up um but i just like, I, I, I wondered who was gonna bring this up because i was I'm gonna like, bring it up no way Aaron's making- okay let's go yeah yeah no no for sure so the film was rushed into production in order to replace a certain movie which fell behind schedule in toho's new year's holiday slate the, the best godzilla movie the godzilla the suit and mothra- <laughs> I, I, i'm building up to it I'm build- the godzilla <laughs> suit and mothra uh larva prop were recycled from the previous film with modifications added etc 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 principal photography be- began and ended in night uh, ended in 1964 i'm trying so rapidly to get to the finish line which is Redbeard was the movie that fell behind schedule and got replaced 
in the Toho slate. It all comes full circle. Really Whoa. Virtual brothers in so many ways, those two films. So it makes a lot of sense that, that they would be sort of percolating in the Japanese national consciousness at the same moment. Ec- truly excellent. Truly excellent. And yes, I mean, it, it should it should be said that uh, Shiro Honda was a good, good pal of Kurosawa's. Uh, so... Yeah, there's a weird kind of. I, I want to know how Kurosawa felt around about these Godzilla movies so badly. Like, yeah, I imagine Akira Kurosawa sitting in the theater and walking out and being like, "I had a lot of fun. I thought it was great." Either a thumbs wildly up or thumbs wildly down. Oh, there's no in between, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's like jealous. He's like, "Damn it, I should have been the one making that fucking red beard." Apparently, uh, uh, Kurosawa was Honda's best friend and included the original mm-hmm. Godzilla in 1954 as one of his 100 favorite movies. According the to Akira only Kurosawa, one like, uh, his best friend. friend, not even it's like not bad. That's what it says. This okay. is actually okay. that's actually what broke up he and Toshiro Mifune is that he saw that <laughs> uh, Kurosawa had listed Ishiro Honda as his best friend, and he was like, "What the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> We've been in eighty movies together, or what? Yeah. Was it, it would have been a top ten. Would have been a top ten movie on the list, but he wanted to push put it put aside his personal bias, you know, sure. in a ranking film. Sure. Yeah. yeah, that's what he said. He was like, you you were like at number eleven, and and uh, Mifuno was like, "I'm never working with you again." Um, <laughs> and something about like what Jason you had said, um, and I really want to talk about. I think a really great point of comparison is to talk about these movies in relation to the new ones, and sort of like the new mentality. And in how those movies may have learned the exact wrong lessons from these movies, and that'll be fun to talk about. But um, ch- just to talk about all of the sort of compounding problems and, and wildness that manifest, sort of like as um, as kaiju's come into the world as almost sort of like catalysts for these larger changes. That is something that is sort of like, and I'm not saying it was totally um, intentional or whatever. I'm not interested in that sort of reading, but like that is legitimately to me a really apt continuation of the original Godzilla's primary themes, right? Because like we talked about in that last episode, the first Godzilla movie to me is all about what happens next, right? Like not, it's not even necessarily about nuclear proliferation or about um, like what it means to live in a post-nuclear world so much as it means like okay, like now we are living in a post-nuclear world. How is that going to change everything else, right? How is that going to change society? How is it going to change science? How is it going to change what comes next? And I think that these movies are like a really interesting and capital-inflected response to that, right? Because like these movies are definitely more optimistic than Godzilla is, obviously. They're also just funny and kooky and self-aware and almost sort of like heartening in the sense that like the answer this movie seems to suggest to me um, to what happens next is like life goes on and it gets weirder and it gets sillier and a lot of the old rules are thrown out the window right okay. like there, and there, there's almost something interesting about that about the idea that it's like okay like now we are living in fast times right and like in 1964 in Japan and America those felt like very fast times right those were like anything goes type times and I think that these movies are sort of like this they're definitely they never lose the sort of like um uh, fearfulness or the the sort of like cautionary tale behind Godzilla, but they are also sort of like exaltations about the fact that like there is sort of a we're we're like living in the future now officially, right? These are very like modernist films. They feel like to me, I'm very interested in sort of like thinking about the contemporary mores and how those might be shifting in response to rapid changes. I do want to uh, go back to something you said a, a bit ago, which I. I 
I guess I'll contest a little bit, but I think you'll probably agree with is that the the new Godzilla movies are not they are not humorless themselves. It's just that the, the humor itself is pushed from the ridiculous ridiculousness of these large monsters fighting to the like the human characters, right? Where where if you look at the something like Ghidra, uh, there is like pretty much no humor at all with any of the interactions with the human characters. I think that's often why people say that like oh that those are often the worst parts of the movie, right? There's some good stuff in here, like here and there, right? But like the the humor in in this movie, Ghidra is like with giant you know people in these suits kind of whacking each other with with their tails, and it's like it is those fight scenes are really genuinely very funny. Mm-hmm, I think. Mm-hmm. Kind of purposefully so, right? Absolutely, right? Like, I mean, there's so much character, there's so much distinction and yes. um, <laughs> hilarious physical performance behind this. And, like, everyone in the theater was laughing their asses off. And, like, I think that's something that gets lost and that really was lost um, in the intervening years is just how intentional that was. Like, I think that yeah. there's almost sort of a xenophobic or racist mentality to, like, oh, like, these weren't supposed to be funny. They were supposed to be cool, and like that, it they're, and therefore they're just like these weird Japanese movies. And it's like, no, these were like no extraordinarily yeah. talented. People seem actors. to be having fun with it. Yes, we're doing amazing wrestling moves, and yeah. it was supposed to be funny and expressive and exciting, right? Yes. Like, and it it really comes off that way. And so it's kind of a shame that like that seems to have been forgotten. I don't know. You, you I, can't the the minute you have a uh, sorry. This is my last point. Sorry, Jason. I, I'll, I'll the 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 minute you make this kind of a big Western style blockbuster franchise, you you can't you can't have the humor be with the monsters because the monsters are the marketability, right? So you need to have you know I, I can't even remember who was in that last. You need to have The Rock or you know some sort of TV star come in. You need to have Aquafina come in and like make some jokes. You need to have Hugh Jackman come in and, 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 and punch the rock in the nuts or something. Yeah. Yes, but but you can't have King Kong or Godzilla being funny themselves. You cannot have that. They have to be deathly serious. That, but the, is, the human characters can make the worst jokes of all time. Yeah, that is such yeah. a great point. You have famously marketable star Matthew Broderick, scientist uh, <laughs> who oh. hunts Godzilla in the finest of the Western uh, Godzilla releases. Right, the 1998. We is it Roland Emmerich? I we have evoked the geist of Gino twice on this podcast and I've still never seen it, but I had a toy based on that Godzilla back as a kid. Uh, I love that point, Aaron, that you cannot make because the thing that makes this movie so special. And again, we're getting little, you know, counting the tree rings of Godzilla rather than going movie by movie by movie uh, in this series. But like the thing that I noticed about this movie is that the humor develops very naturally from each scene of like, yes, it is ridiculous that Rodan a monster without opposable, like even arms yeah. is ba- is supposed to be battling. Like it just able to take flight suddenly um, with no lead up or drop to like peck Godzilla, the shit out of Godzilla's head and, and, <laughs> and do his little dance. You know, it's just, it's very fun. Like on it's the so face good. of it, it's very, he does like uh, you have him make a gif of him, like uh, doing yeah. it, like a shaking his head after he, after he gets knocked down and it's like, everything, but the bibbidi sound is there for like the Looney Tunes <laughs> oh, it's moment. It's so good. It's dude. so good. And it's like, I, my eyes again are being opened to a lot of aspects of the Godzilla series in that like that clearly was developed as a comedic moment. And most of the fighting is developed as comedic moments. He does yes. like, he does like a Wario world power driver on Rodan at one point <laughs> because he can, because he's got an open enough space because it's like, that is what is going to be maximum funny and good in this moment. Not because like we have to be saddled with the baggage of the last 10 years of what Godzilla has become or like sort of what he is to the world. Now he is a big lizard. He appears when other monsters appear. 
I'm not saying like drop all theoretical and thematic pretense, but like accept that this is funny now. Like this isn't don't don't take this seriously because you're supposed to be having fun watching this thing happen. I do love that amount of freedom from like the constraints of this started as allegory for J- Japan's, you know, uh, uh, processing of nuclear trauma. And of course, echoes of that still exist. That's still why Honda developed it. But in this moment, just accept that he's doing like that. He's giving him the people's elbow. It's fine. Just just have a good time because that's why well, it was and, made. And it, particularly when that intersects with like the um, the economic and social response of Japan to post World War Two and the fact that like largely through trade with the West, um, Japan modernized and, and reindustrialized so quickly and became so successful so quickly that like legitimately by 1964, Japan was like kind of going through like a, like a, a recovery revolution. Right. And mm-hmm. so like, it kind of makes sense that in this sort of like, and I'm not saying it's nefarious, but it's sort of like all of a sudden there is like a explosive excited kinetic optimism in this movie right where where it's like we're having so much fun and the the fun at the core of this is is really worth talking about because like that was the thing that that always really stuck out to me about these movies and it was my favorite part here too right is that like the 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 acting within the suits is not just hilarious it's not just silly it's also like deeply expressive and exciting in the sense that like Godzilla has such a pronounced personality in this movie right like it's it's like uh aaron had said like he is such a grumpy old man and just like wants to be left alone and just wants to fuck shit up and like that comes across every time he's hit every time he hits like i i really think that like this especially like through the rubber suit they do a really fabulous job of like establishing the personalities of the individual kaiju for comedic effect right like when you see godzilla get hit and then he sort of like his googly eyes go up and down and he sort of like shakes his head off. Um, or like at one point Ghidorah is blasting him with lightning and he's like holding his ass because his ass is being zapped. And he's like, Oh, 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 oh. it's so funny. Right? Like it, I think that like uh, the way that, that this, these movies, like in addition to everything else that's going on, they really are like clinics in how you sell really good expressive body acting because they kind of had to right? like, the, the suit is so hard to get anything across, but like watching Godzilla be clumsy and be cranky and be sort of like, um, like cantankerous is so essential to like the, the comedy of what's going on here. I think. Pay attention to the chat, Aaron, you go first. I've oh, got a sorry, tangent point, bro. Come on. Right. Have, have fun editing this out. Ooh, yeah, it's I, was, well, I, 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 I also have a, a jokes on you, sir. I also have a, a, tangent no! uh, which is to say that i i think we need to open this discussion up to the other kaiju as well because as much as i love godzilla there are a bunch of other fun kaiju in this film i think i'll i'll look i'll go first uh rodan is it uh, for the best Fresh and here. the worst kaiju at the same time yeah. he is obviously the stupid i mean he's just a bird basically but also is easily the funniest Easily the funniest, most slapstick kaiju. There are so many reactions of just his face in this movie that could be great gifts. I mean, absolutely perfect. Just there's one where he just like gets beat up and he just like pulls himself out of some rubble and he's just like looking around. He just looks so so pissed. He's yeah. like, "What the fuck?" And it's like, like uh, there's that he sucks, but he's so funny. He's, oh, he's so hiding from from Ghidorah's lightning behind a big rock, and he like pokes his head out, and then Ghidorah like turns and sees him and blasts lightning again, and he just goes back down behind the rock again. <laughs> 
He, I, it, I kind of, I know I was shit talking him and I said that like, look, no one is fans of Rodan. Who gives a shit about Rodan? I kind of love that little fella. I don't know. There's something, there's something about him. Uh, and you know what? And, and I think part of it is like Godzilla, Godzilla is like the perfect medium between like very serious and very silly. Uh, Rodan is to one side. I think Mothra is like completely serious, like except with the exception of spraying goo all over the place for most of this film. Not as not as funny. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, Ma- Mothra, she she has a um a challenging job here, right? It's sort of a thankless yes. job. She's like the Cyclops of the X Men. She's like the she's like the leader. She's the serious one. She's the one that has to get everybody's shit together. But like, that's yeah. nobody's favorite character. Like the 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 um, one who who is smart and has to pull it all together. Like we want to see Godzilla and Rodan beat the shit out of yeah. each other, right? Like I was on their yeah. side. When Mothra's like, "Yo, we got to work together." I was like, "Nah." Like I want to keep watching this wrestling match. Actually, yeah. Left <laughs> left brain Mothra is is hard for audiences to really get behind. She she doesn't fly in this one either, so it's like there's just a little bit it's of like. Out. What is what is she doing? I know, I mean, the wing wing is the, the, every time she moves is oh very God. very funny. Yeah, very I funny. That's Larval good. Mothra. That I prefer Larval Mothra to Big Mothra. I, uh, and I do Stringshot too. Shot is very overpowered here, but go ahead, Jason. Personally, because I fucking I can't stand moths. Their physical presence really really uh, is just distressing to me. But the larval version, the funny moment, like the the body humor that uh, Harry was talking about, I think unfortunately comes in from Mothra when Mothra is just getting her shit rocked. Just getting thrown around by Godzilla and by uh, Ghidra, just and, and she's just popping around like oh, popcorn. It's just brutal, dude. It, it, but it's in the moment. It's very funny because it's clearly like, oh, they just like pushed a, this puppet up into the air and just flung her like a hot dog. It was. It's very funny. You know, it's actually interesting. That's a that's another point to sort of like how locked in um, their understanding of what the audience should be responding to at any given moment is in those fight scenes, because like that is a funny scene. It's also the one scene that you're supposed to feel sort of like almost pathos and distress, right? Yes, because like, yes. that's when Larva Mothra is getting her shit rocked. And that's what actually gets Rodan and Godzilla to join the fight. And, exactly. um, it's, what's really interesting is that like, they do such a good job of making sure that all of the combat damage that in, is incurred to these kaiju is mostly comedic until that moment that it, it because like it occurred to me that like, especially for kids and even for me being, you know, Godzilla's biggest fan, um, I would be very distressed to see actual damage. Like it would, it would suck to watch these at, like characters be in real pain <laughs> and like they they leverage that very effectively that one time with mothra and then for the rest of it like in we we watched two episodes or we watched two movies um that last friday when we saw the double feature there's not a single mortal fight in either of them like it it seems implied that like it might just be impossible for these kaiju to kill one another right like godzilla and, and uh rodan are beating the shit out of each other at no point do either of them look like they're in actual mortal danger right like <laughs> They're just basically like slugging each other. Like even when when Godzilla is like got Rodan down and he's whapping him with his tail and throwing rocks and shit at him, Rodan is mostly just sort of like, ah, god damn it, <laughs> this sucks. Like I want to be pecking this shit out of Godzilla right now. Um, and like even at the end of this movie, right? Like Ghidorah just straight up is like, fuck this, and he flies off. Like at the end of the because he's like, I just like I got my shit rocked and like I don't want to be here anymore, and so he just isn't. I love that. Yeah. I, Relatable. You could just come back like tomorrow. I know. Spoiler is my friend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <not> <laughs> <Ghidorah's> <laughs> <final film. laughs> so, 
Yeah. Uh, stay tuned, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the, the combat does feel, I, yeah, I mean, very, man, I wish I would have seen this at the trial and I was unable to make it, but it does seeing the sort of consciously comic combat. I tiptoed through that one so I wouldn't fuck it up. Um, like that, it was a, a lot of fun and it is like, again, like I'll use the word conscious again. Like it's very, it, they, they want you. I can't help but feel that like Honda and, and friends want, they want you to feel the fear until the moment that like the danger happens. Like Godzilla is, is evading these lightning blasts and eventually he gets hit in the face or the ass. And he's just like, Ooh, owie, owie, owie. That was like horrifically inconvenient. Um, but like there is, I mean, this, uh, um, Aaron voice, it's called good writing. I like one of my favorite moments getting back to like Larval Mothra, um, in, I guess I don't think she does it in in this movie, the one that we're talking about, but Mothra versus Godzilla when she's in larval phase, biting Godzilla's tail as a means of like attacking and inconveniencing. In this movie, doing the same thing, but like when the two are teaming up to like just get to the place faster, oh, it's dude. so that like thought, I, and, and like yeah. Mothra was injured and Godzilla's yeah. like helping her out of the pit, like like they're in the trenches and he's holding the back of her like like the collar of her shirt and pulling her out so that she can. Get, I thought Charlie was going to cry next to me. She's like, oh, my God, Godzilla's helping Mothra. Right. There is something, like, weirdly heartwarming about these monsters when it's like, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> like no, nobody can pick on this asshole except for me. Or, like, I, I had big, like, you know, for, weirdly enough, I thought of Toy Story when, like, Woody and Buzz are at odds. And then, like, they get to Andy's room and the toys start fucking with Buzz. And Tom Hanks goes, hey, nobody does that to my friend. It's like, that's Godzilla walking in after Mothra get, starts getting the shit kicked out of her. Um, so shout outs to, to Sacrificial Larval Mothra, um, Queen of the Trilon, 2022. Tough competition. I'm going to keep planting yeah. those seeds. Tough competition. Um, I do want to talk about the, uh, we were talking about how this movie doesn't need a whole lot of that, like, because it is just at a base level, much more fun, a much more like, now it's a wrestling match type moments. I, despite that, Harry said something earlier that made me think like what Godzilla, like not Godzilla 1954 was, was like this sort of prompt, this sort of challenge to confront that, you know, the, the anxiety around nuclear Holocaust and sort of how it had, had, had and hadn't waned in the nine years since the bombs had been dropped. Um, and it, by this time it's less like Godzilla is sort of a prompt for that and more like he's. I mean, character and movie wise, uh, sort of like because humans are starting to anticipate and sort of almost expect Godzilla, not that he didn't exist before the first movie, as we discussed, but that he's like, they kind of know what the conditions are going to be for Godzilla beforehand. It's more like these monsters, including Godzilla, are like an usher for whatever, you know, sort of anxiety is is uh, plaguing people at the time, like how we were saying they're brought in alongside encephalitis and a heat wave. Uh, and all these other things that ultimately don't bear much like uh, weight in the plot themselves. I just found it like very uh, interesting how like those types of things are not reflected in the first Godzilla movie because it's not like, like he is a very sudden appearance. You know, a couple people remember legends of Godzilla, but everybody is pretty much taken by surprise in this one. Not just like we already are familiar with the with the with, you know, the setup. We know Godzilla is going to show up. But like what that means for the people who made it versus, you know, sort of the world that they made it in. Again, Harry was talk talking about like the uh, commercial and technological boom that Japan went through between like 1960 and the late 70s would just set them up 
for uh you know like how entertainment as well was changing and how like thematically those the stories that were being told were changing it's like we didn't need something that was like oh wake up from or you know a call to action to confront this trauma and this anxiety that that we all know that we have let's let's talk about it let's like make it part of our entertainment and more like now we're we're already having the conversation let's use you know let's let's reflect a little bit of how we feel about movies and how we feel about entertainment in this thing well, and, and furthermore, this movie is so clearly and in contrast to the original Godzilla, which was so much about national identity, this movie is like profoundly about globalization, right? Like it's it's very much about the fact that like like I had said earlier, the kaiju are now an international threat. At one point, one of the characters explicitly says like Godzilla is not just Japan's problem, it's the world's problem. Monster Zero is actually literally an alien, or I'm sorry, Ghidorah, known as Monster Zero in some of the other movies. Um, he destroyed Venus before he came here, and like that was his claim to fame, is he's going to destroy Earth like he did Venus. A, a person from Venus comes to Earth to warn us. Encephalitis is ravaging the world because of this heat wave, um, and like there are other plagues going on because of, uh, basically, and like also like, the news coverage and national and international news coverage is like a huge part of this uh, subplot as well as international politics. Like this is a movie that is very much about sort of like, and again, coinciding with the economic and social realities of Japan in 1964. It's about like, what does it mean that the world is so small now? Right? Like after world war two, the world became very small because everything became very connected in a way that it hadn't been before. Right? Like, even nuclear weapons are sort of a symbol of globalization in like the darkest possible sense, right? Where it's like now, like everything matters because everything could lead to the end of the world, right? Like this satellite state of the Soviet Union could come under attack. It could set off a proxy war between America and the Soviet Union. Bombs could be dropped. Everybody dies, right? And so like there is this profound sense of like, okay, like everything matters now. Everything is connected and so, like, there is a really interesting way, again, not totally advertent. I'm not saying that this movie is, like, secretly a, a like, codex for understanding right, no. the second half of the 20th century. But, like, all of the problems in this movie intersect, right? Like, it, at no point, like, by the time we get to the, the end scene where Mothra and Godzilla and Rodan are fighting Ghidorah, also... While that's playing out, every one of the other subplots is being affected and affecting what is happening in the A plot. So, like, there is this sense in which, like, because of maybe even because of the Cold War being the A plot, now all of the B and C plots have this different import where, like, they are all going to connect back to the like macro narrative of world history in a way they never really did before because the stakes weren't that high. And I think that there's something really interesting about introducing the idea of kaiju as this sort of like grand scale um, culminating threat that that weaves all of these other narratives into it that way. Hard, hard agree. Hard agree. Um, Do we have? I guess I, I want to talk, what, what I talk about my notes? favorite scene in Please. the movie, which is yeah. where Larval uh, Larval Mothra first blasts Stringshot on Godzilla and gets his face all mucked up to get him to stop fighting. And Rodan just thinks that's the funniest shit in the world. And like his little beak head is going up and down. He's shaking his head <laughs> back and forth. And Godzilla's like, oh, God damn it, son of a bitch. And then like Mothra just like you see him like just turn. You see her just turn. And then she fucking blasts Rodan yes. with him. 
And Godzilla literally, like, he puts both of his hands on his knees and leans forward so he can let out a belly laugh. I lost my mind, dude. Like, these movies are so <laughs> funny. And, like, all of those scenes were, like, you just knew without having to be told exactly what uh, Rodan and Godzilla's personalities are. But, like, when Mothra starts talking to them, it's all confirmed. Where Godzilla's like, no, fuck this. Like, I don't want to be part of your little, like, squad or whatever. I want to beat the shit out of Rodan. And, like, <laughs> at one point, they're like, they keep doing this very wrestling thing where uh, the the peanuts are narrating Mothra's attempts to get uh, Godzilla and Rodan to work together. And they keep like teasing it where they're like, okay, we think that she's almost got them now. She's really got them cooperate. Oh no, she doesn't. And then like, they're literally just like arms crossed, like turning their heads dramatically away from Mothra so that they can be like, no, no. Um, <laughs> at one point in the English dub, uh, like Mothra says something and then Godzilla roars. And then one of the peanuts goes, Oh, Godzilla, such language. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's perfect. Like, I just love the, like the, the fucking frat boy energy that Godzilla and Rodan have. Right. Like at one point Godzilla's like, okay, if I'm going to fight, I need Rodan to apologize. And Rodan's like, no, apologize to me. And like Rodan pushes him with a wing and then like Godzilla pushes him back. And it's like, bro, bro, you tried to start something. <laughs> it's so, <laughs> man, I just love that part. Yeah, as these movies, um, you know, the, these sequels to 1954's Godzilla, like eventually transform and become other things. The I mean, I mean, and we've been talking about it, but the the line upon which you know we're, we're teetering of how seriously or not seriously to take these these kaiju these situations, um, like it, it seems like a good like a good balance, a, a good kind of straddling. It it makes like now that you mention it, Harry, like you, like it made me think of, it makes me think of rather like Michael Caine acting alongside Muppets in like the Muppet Christmas Carol or something like we're, we're personifying these creatures the right amount. Um, and like I, the, uh, a line reading, I think it was shortly after the Rodan Godzilla, like taking turns laughing at each other. Um, but like the three of them are having their conversation. And, um, I think it was, yeah, the peanuts like relaying what it is that they're saying. Um, and one of the, the human protagonists, uh, like after they hear, Oh, well they, they don't agree. They don't want to help. Humanity is doomed. People suck. Um, yeah, it was this great line of, oh, damn them, those bastards. It's just like, well, yeah, it's like, damn them, those monsters. They don't, they don't want to help. Wait, we're talking about Godzilla and, and Rodan, these prehistoric beings. Um, yeah, I don't know. So I, I, I have a lot of appreciation for the, you know, the kaiju, the Muppets, whoever it is that we decide to take, you know, the right amount of serious. I hope we see more of that. There, I mean, there are plenty of more of these sequels. I intend to watch all of them. I'd yeah. be curious to see how that evolves I, over I mean, the course it, of them. And Aaron might have a better idea than that than any of us here, but I'm maybe, maybe not. I'd have to really go back to childhood. Uh, you don't have to do that. Yeah. Blocked all that out. Oof. Um, well, it, it kind of reminds me of like when we talked about the Jackie Chan movies, right? About like, actually like Kung Fu is at its best when it's comedic and expressive, right? Like, that elevates not only the storytelling, not only the themes, but also like just the choreography is better. It's more expressive. It's more fun. And like the best Kung Fu movies always knew that. And I feel like there's a direct line to be made from that to this, right? Where it's like, no, like the, the inherent silliness and ridiculousness of watching two dudes in rubber suits go at it is a feature, not a bug. 
right? Like it that elevates this material. It gives it more nuance and more depth and more fun when you don't take it seriously in that way. And I think that like there's something really interesting about like Charlie sitting next to me, um, she was like, This is a camp movie. And like it Yeah. That that's so correct to me. It's it's that like it's playing in that space of like actually like when you don't take things seriously, it opens up all of these new dimensions for exploring meaning making that you can't get when you're just say trying to do something like Godzilla versus King Kong, where you're trying to sell toys, right? Like this is yeah. still a toy movie, but the fact that they're able to and not afraid to sort of like explore that larger spectrum of what they can do with this inherently very silly idea really liberates it in a lot of ways that that feels really refreshing especially now in the context of the mcu and all that stuff is there anything to to put a challenge to it i agree with everything you're saying is there a single thing redeeming about the human characters in this movie apart from apart from the peanuts doing the weird little cult singing uh call to mothra which that scene my favorite scene in the movie is Mothra being serenaded by these cultists and just like kind of bobbing to music in her cave. That's great. Other than that, is there a single redeeming thing about the human, like the weird spy intrigue plotline in this movie? Uh, I, I mean, will say that um, the the assassin that wears both the the large frill and sunglasses. At sunglasses all guy's cool. Extremely funny to me. Like every time he Very was on, cool. I was eating that shit up. He rocks. I believe that's uh, Malmus, played by Hisaya uh, Ito. So shout out, shout out to Malmus. Uh, he's I mean, very good in this movie. Like, but other than that, I, yeah. I, I mean, depending on how you, depending on how you're defining like redeeming, like likable or actually like oh, is a story? Good. Are there or were they a net good? I I don't know. I mean, like I think that's just not the point of these movies by this point. One and two, like it's like half the runtime of the movie, though. Two, I mean, we, to, not to challenge yeah. too much, but you're right. You're right. Um, I think it is more about like just building characters who can be who can like grease the wheels and make things a little bit fun on their own. Like the really yeah. well dressed camping scientists who are like surprised six times that their tools are being swept away by the meteorite. Like it happened once in the first ten minutes of the movie. You guys know this is going to happen. Uh. And I mean, there's the subplot where the detective and the photographer uh, turned journalist, um, they don't, they save that girl's life through shock therapy or something. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. Weird, uh, yeah. Dr. Tsukamoto played by Takashi Shimura from the original Godzilla slash mm-hmm. every single other Japanese movie that came <laughs> out between 1940 and 1970. What a king. Uh, yeah. He's the best. Um, but I don't know. I like, I think I like the human stuff in this. Like I said, I, I might be sort of like squinting, but like my earlier take, I guess, about just like, I love the idea that like in a world full of kaiju and the sudden globalization that resulted from from kaiju, like the world is a weirder, funnier and stranger place, right? Like all of these people keep colliding. There's a Tokyo cop and his sister is a journalist who does cryptid shit and she ends up uh, like becoming... Uh, the like the reporter who's reporting on this woman who's been possessed by a woman from Venus. Then her cop boy or her cop brother like becomes the boyfriend kind of to the woman from Venus. There's like a whole Roman holiday is where that this movie ends, where like the woman That's from right. Venus goes back to Venus and he's just sort of standing there like what could have been. And it's like what the fuck is going on? I just I don't know. There's something about that that is so charming to me about like just the fact that it's like well 
like what did you what did you think like if Godzilla's roam in the world like the people are going to be just as weird as the monsters at that point and like there's something kind of fun about that to me Yes. Um, what is fun for me is the fact that somebody else brought up Roman Holiday and not me. Um, so I'm very thankful for that. But yeah, really, really quickly, yeah, um, Takashi Shimura, um, it, 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 arguable goat. Um, but yeah, I mean, flipping through his credits, that is, again, just going back to the the bucket of like, these movies are fun and this franchise is fun and it's not taking things all that seriously for the most part. Just like Shimura's in a bunch of these movies and never credited as the same character like just flipping i mean he's in godzilla obviously godzilla raids again Ghidorah, mothra um godzilla king of the monsters and that's just man why don't why don't the good old days why don't we still do that shit why don't we that's that that i ask you all uh if you have any ideas uh for us to why we don't still do that so you just comment below roderick to appear in godzilla versus king kong in like a cameo role. You, I mean, you know, they're going to do that. that. would be awesome. You know that they're going to do, they they're going to do that shit where like Brian Cranston is going to come back for some reason. And they're going to like bring multiple Godzillas into one. Like, I mean, I'm, they've already kind of done that. I'm sure in the, between them for like the six years they've been making these movies, but the American versions have to do that. Right. Where we're going to have, I guess like, well, 50s yeah. Godzilla, Shin Godzilla, Gino, yeah. et cetera. Right, they're going to do that and then just like chalk it up to like, oh, this is multiverse stuff. We're doing multiverse stuff. It's, we're not just like, we're, so we're not, we're wow. not being bald faced about it and being like, oh, no, like just it, it's okay if somebody else like plays somebody who isn't canonically this other person. Like, it's we can I mean, use their un- face and repurpose it. It's fine. Unfortunately, I think that even in this movie, they call Ghidorah an extra dimensional being at one point. True. Which is like they have we're basically the already flirting with multiverse. In yeah. The princess fell in the space between dimensions or whatever, and that's how right, she survived. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, yeah, man, that scene is so fucking funny, dude. With like, <laughs> there's that one cutaway to the president of the UFO Society. And speaking of like hilarious intentional camera work, the entire scene is still. It is just a contextual cutaway to an earlier report that the female character gave, where there is one camera shot and he is like posing in this very nice. Uh, office and he's like well you see when the princess of the nation fell out of the exploding airplane the explosion uh it it ripped open the fabric of the dimensions and she fell into an interdimensional rift in which she was possessed by the woman from venus and when she came out of this rift she emerged unharmed because of the way that gravity works there and then she was fine but she was possessed by the venusian woman and then cut like then he's gone. He never comes back into the movie, and it's just like there it was. Like now you know why this princess was possessed <laughs> they, by the woman. They had, they had the middle and end of the movie, and they're like, "Shit, how do we? What do we do? <laughs> it's so <laughs> what good. don't we have here?" Oh man, uh, very good, very good that they don't feel the need to uh, to lure it up. Just just get it out of the way. Again, like Aaron was saying, not the best parts of the movies with the humans. Let's just get them out of the way. Um. um if, are we wrapping up, Jason? Sorry, did you have anything I'm, else? I'm not God here. Uh, if anybody has any final thoughts or uh, notes, we can let them out here. I just wanted to talk about everybody's favorite moves because uh, there are a lot of great moves in this. Um, you brought up the superplex that Godzilla does to Rodan, which I really love. Um, I would I would shout out like there's so much rock throwing and also like Godzilla yeah. kicks rocks like soccer balls at Rodan's head for like five full minutes at one point, and they just keep colliding with Rodan's head, and Rodan's like, ah, fuck, ah. Um, so that's one of mine. My my second one is definitely that just like the 
the comedic goldmine that is something that can't fly being pecked by something that can fly and trying to sort of swat that thing away, especially when Godzilla has like the little T-Rex arms, it's it's always worked and it will always work. So like every time Rodan is like dive bombing Godzilla and pecking the shit out of him and Godzilla's just like, ah, fuck, God, get away. I just lose my mind. <laughs> All the how sound funny effects they is. use there too. Um, it's like slapping sound effect. It's like just a quick pop. It's yes. It's really so good sound good. design. I was like, I was going like, ooh, ah, in the in the theater. <laughs> um, and then uh, lastly, and this one is is not just this movie, but in general, every time Godzilla gets knocked over, they do this very good thing where his arms and legs just start flailing, and it it has the effect of both being very funny to look at, but also like in terms of like making it less serious, it looks like he is more inconvenienced by being knocked on his ass than he is hurt. And I really love that. It sells Godzilla's grumpiness so well that like Rodan will dive bomb him and he'll go flying down and you can almost hear him say like, ah, son of a bitch, right? Like, and like trying to pick himself back up. It's just wrestling at its finest, I think. Um, but what do you guys, what were some of your favorite moments? Any, uh, the, the scene with Rodan and Godzilla where they're like, they're they're squabbling and like just whacking on each other like two people fighting over a tv at black friday you know they're just like straight up just like not even effectively hitting each other that's great uh love that one i mean we we kind of i think we mentioned this on discord we were chatting about this episode but like the the fight between godzilla and rodan is like so much better than the final fight with ghidra it's just like it is the perfect encapsulation of what i want out of like a kaiju battle where it's like not self-serious very funny a bunch of cool pile driver stuff and then like just silliness left and right like that scene it's the best it is um i would say probably anytime that godzilla uses his tail uh to to whap it because that's his only effective offense against rodan or, or really anything like he's got no arms he uses his atomic breath sometimes but not often enough to be effective so anytime that he just like puts his face down in the ground, shoots his ass up in the air and just swings at things. Very funny. The The comedy always works because you imagine like, oh, there's somebody six feet out of frame just dangling the tail around too, which is a great image on its own. Um, moreover, I l- l- really like how, and Gira is a character we haven't really talked about much in this movie because they just, they, they appear half, more than halfway through and then the battle that they have, the confrontation is kind of lame compared to the rest of the movie. But the way, the way that they characterize Ghidorah in this movie as just like complete chaos heads moving in every single direction no like unified uh force and just constantly destroying things rather than Godzilla works his way up to things from at the shore and he starts kicking over buildings and tearing down power lines and it's like a slow build Rodan uh is bopping around and and uh, you know pecking things Mothra is spinning things up and whatever like there is no other monster that we've seen yet who just like starts and ends as an instrument of completely lethal cast, literally leveling an entire city block in like two shots rather than kicking down a couple of buildings or whatever. I just like how that character has like, has such incredible lethality compared to these characters that wake up and just bicker with each other constantly throughout until the end right. of the well, movie. And like that is it's the contrast is important for personality as, as well. Right. Like we are supposed to contrast right. or juxtapose Ghidorah from Godzilla to understand that like, these are our monsters, the ones that have personality that right, do right. things like squabble with each That's other versus point. Ghidorah just being like this engine of mass destruction. Yes. Pew, pew, pew. 
Um, that's the sound they make, right? That's the sound of destruction. Uh, yes. That was the sound I, the guns made, weirdly. Did you remember the guns in this movie making like weird pew-pew yeah. sounds? It was, yeah. it was well, very silly. Well, on, on the note of guns, um, uh, well, I'll, oh. I'll table that briefly. Uh, the the first point, um, I think my favorite move is still the, um, it's not like an attacking move, but it's like pound for pound, like one of the best you know strategic maneuvers, Mothra clamping on to, to Zilla's tail to get up the hill faster. You, you love you love to see some good teamwork, uh, you know, in, in times of peril. Um, but the um, uh, as far as the pew pews go, the shootout between um, what a prime, you know, a, a, the alpha assassin uh, on one side of this like cliff structure and then the princess and the bodyguard brother character on the other side. Um, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, it's an instance of nature happening, so it can't really be called a move necessarily, but the sort of fatal blow of the assassin being on the side of an avalanche falling rocks, a, a boulder comes, he catches a boulder and then just kind of like half leaps backwards. <laughs> Extremely good. Oh, I got a huge uh, kick out of that. Uh, just in the same way that he kind of kicked out um, as he fell to his death. But um, yeah, I, I liked that scene quite a bit. It's like the most obvious styrofoam prop that has ever been in a movie. Like you see him catch it and like you see his weight stop the uh, rock. And then he just sort of like has to throw himself backwards in order to sell the fact that he just got hit by a boulder. (laughs) Exactly. Extremely good. Uh, Honestly, athlete of the year, Trilon 2022. Ooh, maybe that's a folks. Uh, my last one, I just thought of this one. There's one scene where, where Rodan's head is just in view and then Godzilla's tail just comes into frame and just like wiggles back and forth to bitch slap Rod- Rodan's face, like just a little bit. Like Godzilla's just barely wiggling his tail so that he could like on Rodan's face. And man, is that funny. Just insult Idri, like got him. I love that we can let our hair down with a movie like this. This has been a, this has been a really fun episode. Just talking about pro wrestling and shit. This doesn't, I will say, complete PS on this, does not get me further from trying to get into pro wrestling. I've never tried it, never been interested in it. This does not move me further from it. I don't know if it's getting me much closer, but. We uh, got to get into wrestling, dude. It's I don't the, know, man. It's I, don't, the, it's the, between, I thought that would have happened in the pandemic, but, but we no, avoided that one. So I, I, got into, I got too much yeah. into other, other shit. Um, but between, you know, now working out with Cody, biking more, and, uh, I guess if, if I did take on pro wrestling as a thing, I would just become a completely different human. That's just like the threshold of how many more things can you fit inside a person before it, before they become, you just wanted to talk about now. <laughs> the fact that I am now incredibly ripped buff and will beat Aaron at the next opportunity to arm wrestle him. Yes. Uh, say a single word and I will mute you. Uh, we have one final segment left of this show. <laughs> and I need help, Harry's help ringing it in. Yes, thank you, Jason. It is the segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's, Cody's Noties. Wow. Yeah, yeah that was pretty pretty Melodic. good. Yeah. yeah, we yeah, practiced singing. That, uh... We can sing. We're brought you. We're friendly. <laughs> Dang, the, the, uh, the Holy Trinity. Amen. Um, yeah, thank you for that prophetic introduction. Uh, uh, Ghidorah and uh, Mothra versus Godzilla, um, just because I also watched them. Uh, in in one fell swoop, they were released in the same year, and to honor that year, I figured it'd be worth our, our while to um, to hail our one true be, be king, nineteen sixty four. I'm banking wow. on the like okay. the, the probably like gringo pronunciation of Ghidorah and just like nineteen sixty four. Get it? It's I pulled a hamstring. Don't worry. 
Um, I know it was well, a stretch. Well, you guys have been pronouncing it like MF Doom the whole show, right? But I believe that's just, that's, I also okay. So we didn't discuss Ghidorah. This, we didn't I discuss this. Ghidorah is like the pronunciation that I think the world accepts. Also, uh-huh. there have been localizations that have no O in the middle, where it is just Ghidra for this film, mm. and you will find poster images for it. The way that uh, uh, MF Doom apparently stylized his persona was Ghidorah, like two E's, like inarguably Ghidorah. I have been trying to weave a midway point of like Ghidorah, like trying to get a little bit of that Northeastern E in there, but also swying it. It's up to you. Okay. So I, yeah, in, in some way, shape or form, this bit is, uh, is this segment rather is named after King Guido. Uh, so what I'm going to do is present a prompt, uh, somewhat related to a 1964 released movie. And after each statement, I will ask y'all in alphabetical by last name order to respond. So that'll go Jason, Aaron, Harry, assuming none of you have legally changed your names. Uh, you'll get a point for every correct answer or closest to the correct answer. And the person with the most points at the end will win. As always, Trivia Mafia rules apply here. So use your noodles, not your Googles. With that, let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to start with Dr. Strangelove, which going by Letterboxd Metrics is the most popular film from the year of 1964. Um, congratulations, um, Mr. or Dr. Strangelove. Dr. Strangelove was directed by Stanley, uh, Stanley Kubrick. How tall was Stanley Kubrick? Jason? I'm going to say six feet, one inch. Jason is going to say six foot one. Aaron, what do you think? Oh, man. Try not to just base my answer based on what I know about his personality. Uh, five, nine. I was literally going to choose. He, he could have that short king anger. On the other hand, he's a very imposing presence. So. Energy. I don't but, know, man. I don't know, but he could be like six three, and then it's like, oh, that also kind of uh, damn. You know. Cooper could have hooped instead of making movies. He's tall yeah. as hell. Uh, <laughs> d- by the way, Cody, did you almost say directed by Stanley Tucci and then catch yourself? I heard no, I didn't. I hey. no, I've been tripping over words this whole time. Uh, that is night, not. And it's... okay, that's too bad. Uh, I'm going to go with, um, I was going to go with five, nine. I feel like to be sportsman, like I have to go, uh, five, 10. That's not sport. Oh, okay. Then yeah, sure. Sure. All right. Well, uh, the sportsman's route, we'll see where that leads us. Uh, because going off a few sources on the internet, Stanley Kubrick was reportedly Five foot seven inches tall. That's Tom Cruise height. That is Tom Cruise. That's why he was. Yeah, he's a short he, kid. So rude to every single woman. In That's his yeah. Every every one of his movies features that stare because people just look to him like that all the time. Had to look he, down. Uh, a six foot three Stanley Kubrick and Shelley Duvall would have gotten along famously. Oh they yeah, it would have been great. <laughs> Shining is like oh, this is actually a terrible film. <laughs> it doesn't work. Terrible film, but everybody had a great time. So That's right. You know, uh, we'll we'll find that in the multiverse. I hope we don't. <sighs> Up next. We have The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, directed by Jacques Demy, a.k.a. husband of Agnes Varda. In addition to Demy and Varda, um, we also have Jacques Tati, and those three are some of the most kind of well-favored French filmmakers today, I I think. Um, Not just, again, see everything through like the letterbox frame of mind, but I like all their movies. And fun fact, we've covered films by the the latter two directors, Varda's uh, Cleo from Five to Seven. We talked about just a few weeks ago, and then we did a, a whole honkin' series on Jacques Tati last year. So go check those out. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Uh, my question for y'all, 
between these three filmmakers. So again, Jacques Demy, Agnès Varda, Jacques Tati. Which They're all one French. Ha- I got it. I got it. They're all French, Cody. Uh, Harry is disqualified for the remainder <laughs> of the round. Uh, oh, yes. Got the soundboard back. Ooh. It's time to shine, baby. Uh, which one of those three has produced the single most popular film going by Letterboxd metrics? So the most popular, <laughs> the most popular film, who directed it of those three? Jason. I'm going to say Varda. Jason is going Varda. Aaron, what are you going with? I'm going to go Varda. Harry? I think I'm going to go with Demi, actually. Yeah. Dark Horse pick. Harry is going to go with Demi. Uh, well, there are you two don't know Jacques. Well, Tati, the one who we didn't guess is the... I, okay. Yeah, it was it was a joke. Well, it was funny. I'm gonna. I was responding I'm, to Cody, not you. You're, you're some people it was funny. Some people were both making jokes at the same time. It, it, it very strong, funny. kind of. We think about it though. If you just had to think for here, a moment, it would be funny. Cody, well, please save me from this hell. Yeah, no, I'll I'll go through the I'll go through the solution here that you know the final answer I'll I'll vamp up to it a little bit and we'll see if anybody has left their Jacques strap lying on the ground. Um, so we'll break it down here one by one. Oh, is that, this is going to be a long one. I don't know if a drum roll is. Oh. <laughs> okay, you get one. <laughs> I don't. Hey, I like hearing more of the soundboard. I feel like it's been ages. So any excuse to to hear some. Don't encourage some... the soundboard. Come on. Oh, all right. <laughs> so, uh, on the note of of Tooties, as we just heard, Tati, uh, his most popular film is Playtime, and of these three filmmakers, he's uh, his is the least popular, most popular film. If that makes sense, I think. Mm. Uh, taking second place is Jacques Demy with the Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Oh, Varda you know takes the is. top spot. You know what it with is. Cleo from five to seven. <laughs> oh, good soup as always, man. Um, all right, so the uh, scoreboard, taking a quick score check. Uh, Aaron is two for two. Uh, Jason has got a point on the board. Harry is sitting at a, a donut. It's still very much anybody's game. Just saying. Um, stretched so many muscles in my face uh, saying that one. Next up, we have The Mask of the Red Death, which, hey, another previous episode, y'all. Nick Ransbottom was on that one. Um, the question is, <laughs> I'm going to get a little meta. Going by SoundCloud listens, as of the morning of this recording, does our Mask of the Red Death episode have more plays, fewer plays, or the same amount of plays as our Raiders of the Lost Ark episode from our non-line boys pickies series? And Jason, you're going to be the first one to guess, which is appropriate because that was your pick, right? Uh, it was my picky. Launching the online boys pick series, go back and listen to it. Unfortunately, we shot ourselves in the foot with uh, Perfect Blue, but we had a great conversation out of that because then they ended up playing at the trial. But that was only through bullying. Bullying works. The message of King Ghidra, the uh, three-headed monster. Um, I will ask a clarifying question. Does the term, does the qualifier of the same number of plays, is that down to the individual play? Like one has 132 and one has 131. And so that doesn't count as the same number of plays? Correct. Yeah, it okay. needs to be right. What, whatever is, is, yeah, the SoundCloud's definition of plays, right? It's going to go by that number. I'm going to say that Mask of the Red Death, because it's been out for another year on top of that, maybe. Uh, I don't know about a year. Yeah, it wasn't. I, I guess it was a number of months. It was like that year. fall and yeah. then the non lawn boys pickies with the spring. I'm going to say that Raiders has more by SEO alone. All right. So Raiders 
has more. Uh, Aaron, what do you think about this? Uh, I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to go that Mask of the Red Death has more. Roger Dodger. Maybe people looking for the short story read aloud on SoundCloud. Maybe, you know, just accidentally clicking on some shit. Yeah, our episode listens don't make any sense. Our Sanjuro episode has more listens than our Yojimbo episode. Uh, it's fucking Real wild. People just looking for critical uh, consensus on that one. What can I say? Yes. Uh, you might have something um, I'm going to go with Mask of the Red Death for the old Ransbottom bump. Let's see it. Dang, the Ransbottom bump. Um, that it will, We'll put that phrase on some merch. It'll be available in the Trial of Shop eventually, probably. Uh, with a total of 128 SoundCloud plays, Mask of the Red Death has more listens than our Raiders of the Lost Ark episode, which currently has... 127. Come the fuck Ooh. on. Someone, so, no offense. Look, I know I'm at home. I know I'm in the lead here, but Harry, you should have done the same number of plays. Just to be fair, it's part of yeah. going last in this. Although that would be a ridiculous. I don't know. Unless <laughs> gonna, Cody was planning for that. Turn, turn, that would have been like bonus not point. at all. I'm turning yeah. on my VPN. I'm opening up an incognito window and I'm just looping that episode all night on silent. Perfect. It's, I mean, I, all things considered, it's a bit shocking that a movie that, of like Raiders of the Lost Ark hasn't like shot to the top of because that's that's it how is. we get engagement I, listeners. Our engagement is the weirdest thing because like you you say that, but I'm also shocked right. that our Mask of the Red Death has 127 listens. Like who who is listening to that? <laughs> yeah. Like I listen, I like our podcast a lot, but like also there's no audience here, anybody, right? Nobody's does anybody listening. else remember how the only time like one of maybe a handful of times in our entire podcast history that somebody actually reached out on Twitter and recommended it without knowing us personally and without like knowing somebody who knows us personally was for our fucking episode about Bellatar's damnation. damnation. <laughs> the one episode I never thought would have anybody any independent human like, listening wow, to Wow, great. To see. I, I think yeah. when you do smaller movies like that, people are just like, there's one person talking about this movie other than in academic books. It's, I it's, guess it's, I'll it's just let, listen to these letterbox goobers. Driving people to like Google yeah. Bellatar Damnation podcast and boom, we're the only fucking one on the internet. Uh, anyway, good for us. The only fucking ones on the internet. Uh, and hey, everybody here is on the board. You'll love to see it. Uh, Jason and Harry have a point apiece. Aaron is three for three. Still very much anybody's game. We're going to number four uh, for our fourth and second to last question. Uh, we're going to pass through, just pass on by, you know, wave to it as we pass by. Hi, Mary Poppins, released in 1964. Hi. Um, we're just passing by so that we can, um, just as a means of getting through to, to Dick Van Dyke, because we're going to shout him out, um, inspired by a conversation with, with one Harry Mackin yesterday. Uh, I, Right, you were the one who talk who's talking about Dick Van Dyke, or was that somebody else? Am I misremembering? Somebody was talking about Dick Van Dyke. I'm always talking about Dick I was, Van Dyke because he's because he's you were talking about Dick Van Dyke. Jason? He's apparently a decent guy. He uh, so he yes. campaigned for Bernie and he uh, owns Pierce right, Morgan yeah. on Twitter and all that shit. Apparently, a pretty good old white guy. Hell yeah, the fellas were all together working out, and I think in my sweaty haze, I just you know we're all we're all Dick Van Dyke um, bros now I guess that is not coming to try better shape than I am so I actually appreciate being I I grew up without television and we had like a little antenna thing that would get two channels and we would get what was called packs at the time did you watch Uh, diagnosis murder I watched so much diagnosis murder growing up and I was like 
this sucks shit, but this old guy I've never seen before is very charming, and I love him. Yes. And he would do tap dancing. Wow. He is great. Dick Van Dyke's great. What, what a connection the, One of the greatest. I was yes. always on PAX. Oh, my. Anyway, this is. I, yeah. <laughs> we got to go. He's like. Yeah, so it was like <laughs> vaguely religious television. Oh, heavily we religious. Have, touched by an angel we with Della Reese. Yes, very good. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Cody, please continue. No, no. Hey, that's good. Like, hey, like Jason said, we're letting our air down uh, in this episode. We're, we're having a good time. Um, hopefully that's going to continue as I read off three quotes allegedly uttered by Dick Van Dyke. Two of these utterances will be for real, again, allegedly. Uh, and one will be fake. Your task will be to pick out the fake one. So I'll read off the three quotes and leave it to each of you to pick up the imposter afterward, starting with the first quote. My whole generation has disappeared on me. My contemporaries, not in talent, but in age, were Paul Newman, Jack Lemmon, Burt Lancaster. All gone. So that's the first one. Second quote, Jack Daniels became my good friend. Then sometime in my early 40s, he turned on me. So that's the second quote. And the third quote, I've made peace with insecurity because there is no security of any kind. So those are the three quotes. Wow. Jason, which one of those is the imposter quote? They're all the coolest things he ever could have said, um, but I'm going to go with the one about insecurity. Insecurity is the imposter. All right. Locking you in, Jason. Aaron, what can I put you down for? I just feel like he doesn't strike me as a Jack Daniels kind of fella. You know, and I feel like maybe there was another named alcohol there. Johnny Walker, maybe per se, would strike me a little more. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the second one. All right, locking Aaron in for the second one. And Harry, Man, you gonna go? Aaron, you gonna cover the spread? Or are you gonna go with one of the others? Me and Aaron are very in sync in this case because I had the exact same reasoning, except I was gonna guess wild turkey for the uh, the alcohol. That sure, sure. But I think to be sportsmanlike again, I'm just a sportsmanlike guy, probably because we started working out. So Cody's sort of like sportsmanship has in- inflected me. Um, I think I'll go with A, the first one, and I'll say that um, maybe you swapped out a celebrity or two for that imposter quote. Maybe I did. I, I tried to reverse metagame a little bit um, because swapping out the names may or may not have been the obvious one. I, I'm trying to remain one step ahead. But when you cover the spread, it is tough. The imposter was the first quote. Um, the actual alleged quote is as follows. My whole generation has disappeared on me. My contemporaries, not in talent, but in age, were Paul Newman, Jack Lemmon, Rock Hudson, all gone. Um, spoilers, this question was really just a, a way for me because um, I wanted to um, shout out Rock Hudson. Um, last month on the Criterion channel, there were a handful of Douglas Sirk movies that were sort of on their last month. And so I, they all had Rock Hudson in them. He He's super cool. Like one of my like new favorite on-screen performers. He's got yeah. such a great presence. Um, sounds like he was uh, a pretty good dude from reports. That, don't tweet at me. I just, you know, <laughs> try, try my best, but he's, he seems like a, a cool dude. And so, yeah, I don't know. And Dick Van Dyke seems like a cool dude too. Um, dude, seems like Dick he, Van Dyke he seems maybe like some, the coolest yeah. motherfucker who ever walked yeah. the face of the earth. These That's right. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, it does sound like he may have had, uh, may, may have had some trouble with his, his buddy Jack. So condolences. <laughs> That, I mean, we've, all had, we've all had trouble with our buddy Jack. With my uh, buddy Jacques? You know? Yeah, he's been... Uh, Let the who's out, uh, you know, without sin, cast the first stone on that one, I think. Yay, verily. Um, the score at this point, uh, Aaron has three, Harry has two, Jason has one. We're going into our final, our final prompt here. And for this fifth and final prompt, we turn to Goldfinger. 
the James Bond film, not the ska band who frequented the soundtracks of Tony Hawk, um, whatever you call them. So I don't know anything about that. I'm going to list Superman's off. Superman's a classic. Sorry. Oh, yes. Superman, Spokesman too, uh, was the other one, I think. Um, I like both of those songs a, a, a great good deal. Um, but I am going to list off four Goldfinger songs. No, I'm going to list off four James Bond films. And what I'm going to do is ask each of y'all to rank them in order of, <laughs> we're leaning on Letterbox to lock this week, uh, highest to lowest Letterbox star rating. So highest to lowest, you get a point for each correctly slotted film. And again, there will be four films total in the mix. So uh, the same spiel I always do, right? If you get the order perfectly correct, you get four points. If you get two of them slotted correctly, you get two points and so on and so forth. With that, I will now read off the list of films y'all are trying to rank again from highest to lowest rating on Letterboxd, uh, average user rating. So we've got From Russia With Love from 1963. We've got Goldfinger from 1964, uh, the year that this segment is about, uh, Goldeneye from 1995, and Skyfall from 2012. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit to give you all some time. Again, uh, if you're listening at home, just so you don't have to scrub back, if you're trying this on your own, I will read these again. It's From Russia With Love from 1963. We've got 1964's Goldfinger. We've got 1995's Goldeneye. And we've got 2012's Skyfall. So those are the films that we're trying to rank in order from highest to lowest average letterboxed user rating. Um, Jason, how are you feeling? Should I vamp a little more or are you in a good spot? I think I'm okay. Um, let me get to my list. I I won't explain too much my reasoning, but it should stand out like, I guess, just letterbox demographics. I think it's got to be the highest, even though it's not the best, is has got to be Skyfall. I feel like people just flocked to that movie from every corner of the earth, and just that would bring up its overall rating. I seem to remember from Russia with Love having like somewhere in the threes or something, like surprisingly low for as influential as I remember it being. Um, so I'm going to go... Skyfall one, uh, Goldeneye two, just because I know that there's a lot of nostalgia and even people who played the video game must have watched that movie and thought it was great. Uh, from Rush with Love and Goldfinger because I haven't seen it. Roger Dodger. Okay, so just to make sure I have those right, I'm going to read them back. I've got Skyfall, Goldeneye, From Russia with Love, and Goldfinger. Did I get the order correct? You are correct. As far as your reading of it, okay, perfect. So I've got those. Uh, locked in. I'm going to pivot here to Aaron, who's been a, a bit of a James Bond head, if memory serves, so no pressure. Um, yeah, might be I, overthinking it. Yeah, hey, Just like I, the anime fellows from the last quiz uh, uh, episode. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I'm good, yeah. I guess. Uh, so here's what I'm thinking. I think that Goldeneye is probably the best and also the most respected of these i think with like a letterboxed audience i think that will probably be the highest maybe i don't know so i'm gonna put goldeneye at one skyfall at two uh it was a popular movie i think there's been a reappraisal of that movie a little bit in the last let's say three or four years especially one or two scenes in that uh putting that at two and then i i think from russia with love is generally more liked than Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Yeah, I'm going to go in that order. I could rant a okay. little more, but I'm going to go Goldmine, Skyfall from Russia with Love, Goldfinger. All right, perfect. And, and I, for purposes of being explicit, I'll read them back again. So Goldeneye, Skyfall from Russia with Love, and Goldfinger. Most to least popular, yes. 
Yes. Okay. Excellent. All right. Got that locked in. And now we make our way to Harry. Harry, what do you think uh, about this one? Yeah. So not to metagame too much, but I remembered that either Golden Goldfinger or Goldeneye uh, was pretty reviled in, in terms of critical response. Um, I couldn't remember which one was which. So I guess to be sportsmanlike and not just... I, I would ultimately copy Aaron's exactly, but... Are you thinking of Man with a Golden Gun, potentially? That's very reviled. I knew that, but which like, is I remember bad. People, people didn't like Goldeneye, right? Or maybe they... No, they no, liked Goldeneye. They like Golden. like Goldfinger. Gold, Goldfinger is often considered like the best of the Connery films. I don't think it actually is, but it's considered yeah. like the most classic James Bond from that era. That's what I, I thought, that, which is why I was going to... Which has some shit in it. Yeah, which... Yeah. I was going to go with um, Goldfinger number one, uh, then Skyfall. Did we all do Skyfall? No, Jason did Skyfall number one. That's probably smart. Um, then Russia with Love, then um, Goldeneye, I guess, which I don't think is probably right. So congrats, Aaron. But uh, that was what I'm doing. You should be gotcha. watch Goldeneye. It's a good movie. So That's Pierce reading- Brosnan, right? And uh, fucking... Um, His only good Bond. Sean Bean, Bean or Sean Bond? Yeah. One of the two. Yeah, he's <laughs> yes. doing that. He's 006, right? And he's, I was always better, James. He says that. It's actually point. a really good movie, yeah. For England, uh, James. Wait, is, does, uh, fucking, is her name Christmas, the Bond girl in that one? Is that the one with Christmas? No, in it? that is not the one. That's, uh, that's, uh, Dine. Uh, no, the world is not enough. The, the world, world is, is not, not enough. Yes, the, the sequel, yeah. yes. So rereading, um, Harry's back, just to make sure I got those right. Um, so highest to lowest, we've got Goldfinger, Skyfall from Russia with Love. And Goldeneye is is that okay? Perfect. So, all right, gentlemen, thank you. It's uh, always a pleasure. What I'm going to do now is read the correct order of highest to lowest rating on Letterboxd. It is as follows as of like this morning. So we have with a rating of 3.8, average user rating of 3.8, Skyfall. Uh, average user rating of 3.7. Next is Goldfinger. And then with 3.6 from Russia with Love. And finally, 3.5, Goldeneye. So so (laughs) that that is the users of Letterboxd have spoken. Where that puts us, so if my calculations are correct, I mean, everybody got from Russia with Love. Everybody slotted that correctly. Jason also traditionally got... Skyfall slotted correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so two points oh for Jason. God. One point apiece for Aaron and Harry. I have it. Jason, Harry, three points. Aaron, four points for the game. So Aaron <sighs> hung on to, to the lead. And I'm going to kill everyone who's reviewed any of those movies. <laughs> I'll be hunting them down one by one like Jet Li in the one. Just like just across space and time. Uh, whoever ranked those movies. Look, Goldeneye is so clearly the best of those movies. If you watch those four movies and you disagree, shot out of a cannon. I don't care where you're going to, shot out of a cannon. You no Goldeneye rules. Yeah, I I don't know what's up with that, but all right. Yeah, I guess yeah. Skyfall's critical reappraisal was not as strong as I thought. Maybe the internet forums I read are not representative yeah. of your average I mean, film user. That, but I think I'm really that. It was the classic letterbox thing, right? Where like we follow critics who are predisposed to like critically reappraise uh, Skyfall on Letterbox, whereas everybody else just probably saw it when it came out and they were like, "Oh fuck yeah, four point five. Yeah, you know, yeah, that is how they talk. But yeah, the, uh, this has been King nineteen sixty four. Watch the throne. I don't know. Watch the throne, baby. Watch your feeds for another episode of Try Love. Like this one has been. Thank you very much for listening. Try Love podcast on Twitter. 
at Trilon Cinema for tr- the Trilon itself, Trilon.org for tickets, showings, and other goings on at that little cinema that we know and like so well. Uh, thank you so much for being here, folks. Thank you very much, listeners, for uh, showing up yet again. Uh, hey, listen to our um, Raiders of the Lost Ark episode a few times. It just needs one or two uh, quick spins. So I think it's uh, <laughs> SoundCloud measures, I think, 20% of a listen. So just skip through whatever you don't like and listen to about 30 minutes of it. Uh, enjoy the rest. But for right now, uh, keep your ears tuned to this for more Godzilla forthcoming. Check out links in the show notes for tickets uh, to a number of series that are playing, including Agnes Varda. Um, I don't think I have a link to the Sydney Podia series because it's not exclusively Trilon, but series of the uh, Ishwar Haunted Godzilla films. You can find all that in the show notes. Uh, and keep an eye on Trilon.org for uh, cool showings coming up all summer. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I've been Kodora, the one-headed monster, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Uh, hey, listen to our Damnation episode. Fans and critics alike rave uh, one of our best uh, and most accessible episodes. Uh, I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Chitaki Harry. My name's Aaron. Uh, look, folks, you know, I know a lot of you were disappointed about my uh, my my lack of points in that uh you know james bond uh segment there but you know what still won still came out ahead so i thought for a minute there harry and i were gonna tie again uh, which would be very funny two two weeks in a row of that would be very good uh i can think of worse people uh to share uh in victory with jason wait, so who else? Uh, yeah hey, wait, wait. so anyway uh find me on twitter wait. at rb please and uh yeah this is not just japan's problem it's the entire world's as well. Would any of you dare suggest we use atomic weapons against Godzilla and Rodan? I don't believe any further explanation is necessary. We can only do our best and let heaven's will be done. <laughs>